This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Subway to Shape podcast, Anthony Rivera, here with you, talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shape. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please also take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for all you Met fans out there, for all baseball fans and podcast fans and listeners of the show. I want to make this show better. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, hopefully it's five stars that you're giving me, and by leaving some comments in the review section, It could only help make me help this show get better and better each and every week. And I got a comment review from I Like Serial 21. Awesome show. Great podcast for any Mets fan to listen to. Great show. Always a great listen. Well, I like Serial 21. Thank you. And I also like Serial very much. So nice to hear from you, I like Serial. And that's all you got to do. You go on there, you review the show, you leave a few comments. I can read it on the air and let everyone know what you think of the show. So do that for me on Apple Podcasts. Now, If you're a new listener to this podcast, thanks for joining us. And if you've been a supporter this whole time, I can't thank you enough. It really means the world to me that you choose to listen to this podcast each and every week. Now make sure to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description in this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the Fan Sided Network at Fan Sided. Before we get started with this week's episode, I wanted to thank last week's guest, John Sapinaro. John is a comic host, actor, writer, voiceover artist. The guy does it all. But most importantly, he's a Mets fan and co-hosts Till Mets Do Us Part with Matt Ibanez, a Mets podcast, a part of the Chop Sports Media. Make sure to check out that podcast. Give it a listen. They're good friends of the show. We always interact on Twitter, on Instagram. We're always helping each other out. So give that a listen. Thank you, John Sapinaro. Hope to have you on again real soon and hope to get Matt Ibanez on the show as well. Now, on to this week's episode of Subway to Shea. As you may remember on last week's episode, at the very end of last week's episode, I went over the schedule for the MLB offseason. Now, let's quickly recap because it had some implications this week for the Mets and what they were going to do. Now, on November 7th, free agency began and the deadline for qualifying offers took place and the Mets gave qualifying offers to Michael Conforto and Noah Syndergaard. Right off the bat, Michael Conforto declined the qualifying offer 
And this may be the beginning of the end of the Michael Conforto era in a New York Mets uniform. And let's look back at his career as a New York Met. His career stats with him at 132 home runs, batted 255, scored 400 runs, 396 RBIs, and only 18 career stolen bases. I, for some reason, I thought he had more than that, but he only has 18 career stolen bases, a 356 OBP, slugging percentage 468, and OPS of 824, OPS plus of 124 for all you guys who are really into deep into those kind of stats. A 15.7 war for his career as a New York Met. He struggled last year, and you know, I was a proponent, I keep mentioning it, I was a proponent of signing him over Francisco Lindor at the beginning of last offseason, or right before the season began. I was a proponent of signing Michael Conforto, and the reason being is that I thought the outfield crop was not good enough to let Michael Conforto just walk. Michael Conforto also being a homegrown player, I kind of liked that whole thing. I thought he was a decent player. I thought maybe after that 2020 season, when he hit nine home runs, 31 RBIs, and batted 322 in that 60-game season, I thought that that was going to be the launching pad for the next half of his career. But he struggled in 2021, only hitting 14 home runs, 55 RBIs, and batted 232. But for most of the season, he did not have a good year. And Scott Boris attributed that to COVID. He also then had that injury that knocked him out for a part of the season. And it was a struggle for Michael Conforto to get his year started. And he only really picked it up towards the end. But by that time, it was too late. The Mets were already out of it. And who knows now what happens with Michael Conforto. You could tell on the last game of the season that he he even can tell himself that it just seemed like this was the end of the road of Michael Conforto playing in Queens. And I do find it funny, and we're going to get more into the GM meetings later, but uh, let me get into what Scott Boris had to say. And uh, let me go off the bat and tell you, I can't stand Scott Boris. I never could stand him. I know he does well by the players, and he gets them their money. I just don't like him. I don't like what he has to say. I think he's a swindler, but he does right by the players. And, you know, obviously for them, that's what's most important. But he said that Michael Conforto is the National League East beast. Also went on to say he became the King of Queens, which that's far from the truth. We know who the King of Queens is, and that's Jacob deGrom. Michael Conforto was never the King of Queens. I've mentioned this before. You know, when we came closer and closer to the end of the season and you know even on the last game besides that last ninth inning when you know he made the catch and fans really started understanding how he may not be returning and started giving him a standing ovation and cheering for him you know he didn't get that applause like David Wright did or uh, like a Mike Piazza did yeah Conforto was good at certain points but you know a lot of the times he was kind of mostly an average player he had that injury in 2016 that kind of derailed, uh, you know, that really positive where he batted 220. Uh, he had the one all-star season batting 279 with 27 home runs and 68 RBIs. And then he batted 243, 257. But he struggled in big spots. And I'm not surprised if the Mets don't bring him back and he signs elsewhere, especially with Scott Boris leading the charge and all these comments that Scott Boris has been making 
for Michael Conforto saying that, you know, a lot of teams are interested in him. The interest is high. What else did he call Michael Conforto, um, the king of diamonds, because he, you know, he won the Little League World Series, College World Series, he's been an all-star, pennant winner, was huge in the World Series, and yeah, those things are true, but, you know, it always comes down to what have you done for us lately, and Michael Conforto didn't deliver this year, in his walk year, which was surprising, so if he doesn't return, I don't think I would lose any sleep over it. One thing I don't want is for him to sign with another NL East team. Especially a team like the Phillies, who, you know, he rakes there in Philly. And I think that that would be, you know, good for padding his stats if he went to Philly. But if he goes anywhere else, fine. I just don't want him on the Nationals, the Marlins. I don't want him in Philly. I don't want him in Atlanta. Just get out of the NL East if you're leaving. Let's go to the other qualifying offer, Noah Syndergaard. And he's still yet to accept his offer, which is surprising because... At the end of the season, he said that if he was offered it, he'd take it. But in typical, I feel like Met fashion, we're going to hear about this last minute. They're going to wait until the last minute to bring for him to make his decision. And I will say this. If Noah Syndergaard decides not to sign the qualifying offer, then I would think you'd have to let him go, right? Like, he hasn't pitched in two years. We got that little piece of him towards the end of the season. And we know the potential. We know how good he's been with the New York Mets. But I don't know if I can offer him more than that $18.4 million. Maybe they could do a two or three year deal and and shorten the, the money in length by year. Maybe they could come up with some kind of thing like that. But I want to see if he could pitch this year. I mean, at least he owes that to the Mets, right? Career, 3.32 ERA. He's 47-31 and with the Mets in 718 innings and 120 games started. I really do hope that he accepts this sooner or later. We need to hear some good news on that front, and I hope that that comes to fruition for the New York Mets. But uh, there are some people on Twitter that I've talked with that they don't even want him to accept because they don't want to give him 18.4 because we haven't seen what he could do. We already have enough question marks in the starting rotation and that starts at the top at the top with Jacob deGrom we don't know if he's 100% healthy we don't know how this year is going to turn out in 2022 for him he was hurt all year in 2021 with all different various injuries and now he's got you know he had the elbow he had the shoulder he had his back he's throwing over 100 in velocity, we don't know what to expect from Jacob DeGrom. I feel like the only maybe given starting pitcher may be Taiwan Walker at the moment. Because Carlos Carrasco, he's coming off injuries. Syndergaard, you know, maybe Tyler McGill if you want to throw him in the rotation. But I don't want Tyler McGill and I don't want David Peterson starting off 2022 on the New York Mets. I want them to get more seasoning in the minors. So the Mets have to at least sign two or three starting pitchers here. Whether you go back and you get Marcus Stroman or you go in a different direction, whatever the Mets decide to do, but they got to get creative. They got to bring in a couple guys here. They have to rebuild the depth. The depth that we thought we had coming into the 2021 season, that pretty much got destroyed with all the injuries. But if Noah Syndergaard decides not to take this qualifying offer, and maybe maybe the Mets and him are coming up with some kind of deal, like I said, you know, maybe two-year deal, three-year deal, that way they can lower the the money by year, who knows, but if he decides to go into another direction, then, you know, good for him, I guess, 
but I will not chase Noah Syndergaard down. Especially after coming off the Tommy John surgery, only being able to pitch a couple innings, and then on top of that, Next year, we all know he's going to have an innings limit. So he's not going to pitch every game. He's not going to pitch probably all season long. A lot of question marks. And that's something the Mets don't need right now. The Mets don't need question marks. They need to have guys ready to play and ready to go. So hopefully, Syndergaard takes the qualifying offer. It would stink to see him go. He loves New York. You know, the fans love him in New York. I even got the Thor bobblehead here. I don't want to see him go, but I am not offering more than the qualifying offer per year. And I wouldn't even give him more than two or three years. Let's see what he's got. Let's see if he could get back to the Noah Syndergaard, the Thor of old. And then we can make a decision on if we keep him or not for the long haul, as they say. Well, speaking of the qualifying offers that the Mets gave out and what's been going on, we mentioned Scott Boris at the GM meetings and the GM meetings in Carlsbad in California. What did we learn from Sandy Alderson? Anything come out because he had to represent the Mets. Him and a couple others had to represent the Mets as they don't have a president of baseball operations and a GM yet. So none of that has happened yet. And what we did learn as we go back, and I'm, I'm sure you're hearing this again, but let's, you know, reassess. I haven't really talked about what happened here, but no president of baseball operations this year. The Mets are not bringing in a president of baseball operations. They're only going to bring in one guy moving on to the GM only, it seems like. And it is frustrating, but at this point, I'm kind of over it. Whoever the GM is, let's go. Let's get ready to get to work and get this team to become a perennial winner. Because at the end of the day, it matters who you put on this field. We could have hired a GM that doesn't have that much success, and he could be a success here, and he could become a legend here. So at the end of the day, who it is doesn't matter to us. It'll matter more to Steve Cohen, and that's why this process is probably taking so long. Also, the fact that Sandy Alderson said that New York seems like a deterrent, kind of making it like blaming New York for the reason why executives don't want to come here. And I can see part of that being true. Obviously, people don't want to move their families and come to a new place in New York when they probably are established elsewhere. But it is surprising that people in lower executive roles don't want to take this big role Is it Steve Cohen's the issue? Sandy Alderson the issue? We keep hearing Bryn Alderson being part of the issue? I don't know. But we're going to keep hearing those rumors in the media and what they think is the problem. And maybe it is the problem. But the fact is, and this is going to upset a lot of Mets fans, they're not moving on from Sandy Alderson right now. That's not happening. Steve Cohen is sticking with Sandy because if he was going to fire him, he would have done it already. So we're going to have to deal with Sandy for another year. I think his contract is up at the end of the 2022 season. Who knows what happens following that. But what I am going to tell you is don't get too upset over this. I know it's frustrating, but we can't as fans get too upset over this. Why? Because it doesn't seem like they have a sense of urgency to what's going on. The CBA is looming on December 1st, and we still are without, you know, the head guy that's supposed to be running baseball operations here. And we're not getting a PBL because it seems like, and from what the media has been saying, it seems like the Mets are still waiting on David Stearns, that they want David Stearns 
to be in charge. And if they're going to wait for him, good for them. But if he declines, fool me once, fool me twice, you know, how many times? Three strikes, you're out. You know, at some point, they're going to have to move in another direction. But if they're able to get David Stearns, then kudos for them for waiting. But it doesn't seem like there's a sense of urgency to get things done for the Mets. Because obviously Sandy's in charge at the moment. He has the experience of being a general manager. And I'm surprised at this point where they're not saying, hey, let's just let Sandy be in charge here. Because then you're going to bring in a GM. And then next year you're going to bring a president of baseball operations. And then he's going to have to be in charge of a GM who's already been here. And the GM's going to have to listen to him and wonder why am I not president of baseball operations? Maybe it goes that way. Maybe it doesn't. But the thing looming is when will the Mets get this GM? I think personally they'll either get a GM by Thanksgiving or they might just wait until the CBA is resolved and then do all these moves. But who knows? Who knows? The strategy for the Mets seems like they want David Stearns. But then we hear about the possible GM. A new guy came out, Adam Cromie. I keep wanting to call him Adam Comrie, but it is Cromie. It's C-R-O. See, I almost did it there. Instead of C-O-R, it's C-R-O-M-I, Adam Cromie. And I think it was Danny Abriano on SNY put together a good little profile of who Adam Cromie is. Or there you go again, Adam Cromie. You know, he worked for the Nationals from 2007 to 2017, and then he left, obviously in 2017, to be a lawyer and work in law. And Cromie worked his way up in 2010. He was the director of baseball operations for the Nationals, and then in 2014 was promoted to vice president and assistant general manager. And then in 2017, left to join Jones Day and work in law, help out with mergers and acquisitions and corporate governance. But if you go on to SNY and check out this article by Danny Abriano, he gives a good profile into who Adam Cromie is. Now, I don't want to go too deep into who Adam Cromie is. We did the whole profiles on who we thought could possibly be the general manager and the president of baseball operations when we did our episode on that. None of those guys are going to be in charge. So it kind of feels like we almost did it for nothing. And new names keep popping in and out at every moment. Now the latest, and this is from Andy Martino, the latest is that the Mets are closing in on a general manager. And that possibly could be Billy Epler. Now I didn't really talk about Billy Epler because I wasn't sure... This is the thing. When you're talking about all these guys, and then it, it, it really is disheartening when they all start to back out or they're not even going to be the person in charge, and, and you're just talking about all these guys and just mentioning these names, it gets frustrating with all these names and all the rumors going around. But at the latest, from Andy Martino, and you can take that for what it's worth, the Mets were said by multiple league executives on Monday afternoon to be getting closer to naming a general manager. Multiple sources said that former Yankees executive and Los Angeles Angels GM Billy Epler was a strong candidate, and that the Mets increased their background work on Epler late last week. And now that we mentioned Cromie, there has been no traction in recent days with former Washington Nationals assistant GM Adam Cromie. Now, all that stuff that I told you, now throw that all out the window because he's probably not going to be the GM. <laughs> but this has been a wild, wild thing. So now the GM could possibly be Billy Epler. But I am not going to go too deep into who Billy Epler is. I mentioned what 
came from Andy Martino on SNY.com. You can check that out or SNY.tv and you can find out more about Billy Epler there. But if the Mets do hire a Billy Epler or even they go and get Adam Cromie, I will do more in-depth when they get hired. I feel like that's only fair to get more in-depth on the hiring than all of these rumors. So we will see moving forward if in this week the Mets can hire a general manager and have someone in charge to put this team together. Because like I said, at this point, I don't care who they hire. I just want to make sure that this guy gets the Mets to be a winning team for the foreseeable future. I don't want to win every couple of years. I want a perennial winner every year. And I want a GM who can do that. Whoever the GM is. Doesn't even have to be a big name. But if the GM can get this team to winning every year, that's what's most important to me. And I know that's what's most important to you guys out there. So let's see where the Mets go this week. My final thoughts before this train leaves the station. Luis Rojas possibly going to the New York Yankees. He interviewed to be a third base coach. Likely to be hired by the Yankees, according to Joel Sherman. He interviewed with the San Diego Padres, I think it was last month, to be the manager. But then they hired Bob Melvin, who the Mets were also interested in, as he leaves the Oakland A's. Going back to Luis Rojas' short run with the New York Mets, 2020, he went 26-34, and and last year went 77-85 and in his two years. That's a 103-119 and record, and the winning percentage, 464. The biggest problems with Luis Rojas, and, and a lot of people are going to say that he wasn't really in charge, he didn't really get to put things together. Here's the problem with Luis Rojas's tenure. In the two years that he was here, 2020, 60-game season, when they had multiple teams added to the playoff system. The Mets were one of four teams that did not make it to the playoffs in 2020. Not even a one-game player, nothing. 2021 had the lead for over 100 days and then blew it. When no team was taking charge, they kept the Braves in it. They kept the Phillies in it. They had struggles beating teams like the Pirates and the Marlins. Teams that they should be better than. They let run roughshod over them. And then the Braves came back in at the trade deadline, made all the moves. They became world champions. Meanwhile, the Mets not only did not finish in second, because they finished in third place behind the Phillies, they didn't even have a winning record. So when people are frustrated over the tenure of Luis Rojas, I get it. I totally get it. And he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt from me. Mets also signed left-handed pitcher Nate Fisher to a minor league deal. Let's look at his stats real quick. I know it's not the big names you've been looking for, but Nate Fisher in 2021 pitched in the Seattle Mariners minor league system was 3-0 with a 2.89 ERA in 21 games, and he started two of those games, 37.1 innings pitched, and he had 47 strikeouts. His minors career, which was two seasons, 3-2 and two with a 3.53 ERA. Maybe a possible bullpen acquisition for the Mets. It's a left-handed pitcher, which is good. The Mets need more left-handed pitchers. Can't be just Aaron Loop coming out of the pen. I mentioned, I think, before that, Maybe the Mets bring back Brad Hand, even if it's on a minor league deal. All I know is that Aaron Loop can't be the only lefty in that bullpen. He needs help. And the final thing today I wanted to talk about 
was this past weekend I went on a tour of City Field. That's fun. Being a huge Mets fan and getting to, you know, go out on the warning track and walk around and check out all the suites and the, you know, the clubhouse and being in the media room. That was just a fun experience. And you guys, you girls should all try going on a city field tour, especially, you know, during the off season, you know, get more time to walk around. It's about an hour long. What a fun experience that was. You get to go to the Mets Hall of Fame. Wow, what an experience it was. Also being out in the outfield, being out in the bullpen, like I mentioned before, a lot of fun. You should definitely try doing a city field tour at some point in life. And I know they have, I think, private tours. We went on the big tour. There was a lot more people around, but they also have private tours if you want to do that. Uh, the only one thing we didn't get to do is we didn't get to go in the dugout, which I was hoping we can do that maybe at another point in time. But definitely check it out and do a city field tour. And uh, one little shout out I want to have for Don LaGreca on the Michael K show. My wife got me a cameo. She knows I'm a big fan of Don LaGreca and and I, you know, look up to him in radio and I'm very grateful that he did a birthday shout out for me because it was my birthday this weekend. And I thank you all on Twitter and Instagram who gave me a shout out for my birthday. And for all those who didn't give me a shout out on my birthday, it's okay. Because guess what? You're listening to this show and that's what's most important. I appreciate you listening to the Subway to Shea podcast. And let's wrap it up here. That's what we're going to do. Please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of this show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to make this show better each and every week for you Met fans out there. So by going on Apple Podcasts, rating the show from one to five stars, and also leaving comments in the review section, it could only help me to help this show get better and better each and every week. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. And I mentioned I went on that City Field tour. You can see some of those pictures on Instagram. I'm going to be posting them. You can see them on my story right now. And then I'm also going to post them on my Instagram page. You can listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Also, I'm a contributor for Rising Apple, a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can check out my articles for Rising Apple, as I will leave the links in the description of this episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter, at Rising Apple Blog. And there you have it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. I appreciate you all so very much, and that will end this week's episode of Subway to Shea. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets. <laughs>